This episode is brought to you in part by HazelAid.com. HazelAid is an online retailer of natural therapeutic hazelwood and Baltic amber jewelry based out of Montreal. With over 700 unique sizes, colors, and styles, there's something for everyone. Hazelwood is a natural way to address acid-related issues like heartburn, acid reflux, and even some kinds of eczema. Baltic amber is useful in naturally treating pain and inflammation. Visit HazelAid.com and use the coupon code UPFORD to get 10% off your order. Hi, I'm Tefra Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, the show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. Today we're continuing our special series in collaboration with Montreal Yeah Fest, where we're interviewing several of Montreal Yeah Fest's featured authors and event organizers. During this period, we're alternating our regular book review content with Yeah Fest promotional content, giving you new stuff every single week. This week we're talking to J.F. Dubo, the author of A God in the Shed and The Life Engineered. We're talking about YA horror, YA books in general, what makes the genre, and so, so much more. Thanks for listening. We're here in the studio today with J.F. Dubot, another of the authors from uh, Montreal Yafest this year. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. This is a fun treat because he's actually in the studio with me, whereas usually our authors are on the phone. Which is a treat for me because yeah. usually when I do interviews, they're on the phone or on Skype, and I yeah. never, I don't get to do them in person very often, so I jumped at the, uh, at the opportunity. Thanks so much for being here. J.F. Dubot is the author of The God in the Shed. That's the your YA book, right? Yes. Is your other book also YA or is it a not YA? I, it's, it's, it's kind of a tough one because it, I never really bothered to, even for A God in the Shed, I never really wrote it thinking, oh, I'm going to mm-hmm. do it. Well, no, that's not true. I did originally conceptualize a story as being YA. Then mm-hmm. it got out of hand and wanted up more horror than I thought it would be. And I thought it wasn't YA anymore. And then Voice of Young Adult magazine gave it a very positive review. So I guess it's YA. But I never I never really got the chance to go through that uh, evaluation for my first book, Life, The Life Engineered. I mean, there's no swearing in it, but <laughs> it doesn't really focus on teenage, coming of age or anything like that. So I, I don't know. Like it, I, I would say it is acceptable for a young adult audience, but not, not particularly aimed at it. I think... The most common story I hear from the authors I interview is, I didn't really know I was writing a YA book, but then my publisher told me it was a YA book, and then it turns out it really resonates with that market, so it is. I mean, I'm not complaining. Uh, If there's one thing, when I got that review, I started sort of, I work in marketing, so my first knee-jerk reaction was, I should know more about this demographic, Mm -hmm. if only to understand the people who are potentially going to be reading my book and the young adult community kind of gets a lot of much like millennials they they get a lot of a bad press Mm -hmm. for no reason very undeserved so I was I was very surprised at how cool uh, first of all other YA authors are Mm -hmm. and the YA community turned out to be especially young adult horror which I didn't even know was a thing and it turns out it's a thing it's a category in the Stoker Awards for the HWA and and I started reading a lot of YA horror. It is brutal. I don't know anything about YA horror. I know it exists as a genre, but like I'm not a horror person. Well, why am I here? Yeah. Well, I know, I know. I feel really, I feel really sheepish saying that. I have a very weak stomach. It's, it's <laughs> fine. Like I'm not. It's, it's funny because I write horror 
but I'm not a huge horror fan myself. Mm-hmm. I don't consume vast quantities of mm-hmm. horror. And the horror I've been reading recently the most, especially going into the, the young adult market, has been a lot of psychological horror. Yeah. So nothing that's very gruesome, but a lot of things that's extremely heart-wrenching. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of an, an addict for anything that's melancholy and tragedy. Yeah. I love to suffer emotionally, apparently. Yeah. Um, so that being said, the... the, the that the what I look for in horror usually is when it kind of circles back on itself to beauty. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got this very weird complex philosophy about what I like in horror, and it usually isn't you know blood and guts. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Well, now that you're saying that, because you talked about the Stoker Award, and that got me thinking about like Dracula and Frankenstein and kind of old horror, and I do actually love that. Like I remember reading Frankenstein in high school. And it was November and like raining all the time, and it was just the perfect environment for reading that Frankenstein. Does sound spot on. Yeah, it was perfect. I would read it in this little. I was in Boston at the time. I would read it in this little cafe, like drinking tea while the rain poured down, reading Frankenstein. But I guess Frankenstein would would count as horror, would it? Absolutely. A yeah. lot of people like to say it's like the first scientific science fiction novel mm-hmm. in a way, and I I guess that's it is accurate. But it's like horror as a genre is more of a an additive genre mm-hmm. if you will you can have uh, science fiction horror you can have historical horror so in a way that would be the first science fiction horror novel yeah and yeah no definitely that it's it's the kind of i i don't really I've, i haven't really dipped my toe seriously into historical horror the, mm-hmm. like the same way you'd say like victorian horror like uh, like dracula Frankenstein. I have written things. I'm just not, they're not published yet. So right. I, I use yeah. yet very optimistically. But it, it, it's definitely, uh, I would say, it's definitely an approach to the genre that is, that leans more towards the aesthetic that I like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a lot more, it, it lends itself more to the character exploration and, and the relationship between these characters. And the horror is only there as sort of a, an engine to drive these relationships forward. And that's what I look for. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about when and how you started writing and maybe a little bit about the origin of uh, God in the Shed? I've always had a bit of a, a storyteller deep down in me. Uh, as, as a child, it was mostly things like through comic books. For most of my teenage years, I wanted to be a comic book illustrator because I never really thought I had it in me to write stories. I would still come up with stories, but my in my brain... The idea of writing all the dialogues and all this was too intimidating, but drawing superheroes and things was simpler and easier for me. Mm-hmm. It kind of, you know, it kind of uh, went into like the graphic design, and that's why how I ended up in marketing. Um, I also did a lot of role playing games um, in my early twenties, and I, <laughs> I kind of got pushed out of role playing games because the whole rolling dice thing and combat and all that. Um, just hunting down goblins and giant rats and stuff bored me. Mm-hmm. And the way our games sort of evolved, we would like I would read like a five minute narrative before each game to recap previous episodes, and I would really focus on like how how my how my players would relate to each other and to the NPCs. Like it was very, it, it, you could in hindsight I can already see. Okay, well I guess I was already moving in that direction. And one year, I stumbled on the National Novel Writing Month Challenge, mm-hmm. NaNoWriMo. I decided, I'm going to just try this to see. And that, that was years ago. It was in 2013 or maybe earlier. No, 2011. Mm-hmm. I'm so old. <laughs> 
And I, I just decided I might as well try this just to see because I like taking on these challenges. Like I like the idea of like I, I recently have been running a lot because my legs are garbage because of a car accident. So my knee-jerk reaction to that is how much can I run before they crap out on me? Right. So I did the National Novel Writing Month Challenge and halfway through it dawned on me that I could never stop doing this. Mm. The challenge itself was easy because getting home from work sitting down and writing the 1600 words i needed to write was the thing i was looking forward to all day at that point i didn't think oh i'm gonna be a writer uh, i never even considered i was gonna be published I, I mean the first thing i wrote was a vampire book because my philosophy was everyone has a really terrible vampire book in them so might as well get rid get it out now while mm -hmm. i don't care and but i just kept writing and writing and writing and eventually my wife at the time said, try to get something published because mm -hmm. it's getting good. I did not believe that it was getting good, but I was not going to argue. And here we are now. Okay. And, and so, so the NaNoWriMo was the vampire book, the first one? Yeah. No one okay. will ever read this. Ah, oh, that's a bummer. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> it is very bad. I'm, I'm a big fan of the bad vampire book. Oh, no. It's not, it's not bad <laughs> in, a, in a cheesy, endearing way. Like there, yeah. there's, I mean, I definitely love the characters I put in there, but the mm -hmm. quality of the writing mm -hmm. and the plotting and the pacing, everything right. about it reads like just, it's amateur time, uh -huh. which is fine. It's, 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 you know, it's, it was a place to start, and I learned a lot, and no one will ever read it. I do feel like one could arguably say the same about the Twilight trilogy, which became a multi-million dollar global sensation I've, I haven't read them I don't think they're my thing because they're everything <laughs> I don't know they're everything about YA that people tell me shouldn't be YA and they seem to be the antithesis of the aspects of YA that I fell in love with right mm -hmm. so I I know I don't want to judge anything I haven't read yeah I just don't think I'll ever read them yeah I love talking about Twilight with people though because like like because exactly what you said it's like the YA it's what people think of when they think of YA and they're like oh sparkly vampires but some of my one of my early episodes was talking just chatting with somebody like it was before we really had figured out our format and we talked for ages about Twilight and just about like I think something that comes up a lot in YA is liking story elements but having an author who doesn't know how to write right. um, yeah yeah I have a feeling a lot of YA authors are kind of back when the genre was sort of taken off, mm -hmm. may have been thrust into the limelight and into a more professional life than they were ready for. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's how you started writing. So what about God in the Shed? Where did, uh, where did um, that come from? Right. I, I'm, and I do want to say I'm actually, I haven't finished it, but I am reading it. I usually try to finish a book before I interview an author. I didn't manage that. <laughs> Is it because it's horror but or horrible? It's because of what the last two weeks have been like in my life. Got it. Um, and because I'm interviewing an author like every week right now. That's yeah. perfectly uh, But fine. I'm enjoying it as far as I've gotten. Okay, fine. Yeah. As, as, yeah. as long as you're not interviewing the author of a book you're hating, because that would be sad. That would, <laughs> it would be. No, I've been, I've been enjoying it so far, yeah. Good. I, I have a lot of trouble um, accepting compliments about my work so right. if if i start stuttering it that's why well um, if you'd like i can just uh not say anything positive about it no that's no okay. i mean i still yeah. i still have an ego to feed <laughs> it's just hard to feed it mm -hmm. so um got in the shed i have a lot of difficulty sort of honing down 
like the origin of the story. I, I think the idea originally is I wanted to write a, and this, this sounds so different from the end product. I wanted to write a Tom Sawyer like story mm-hmm. with Call of Cthulhu like mythos layered over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is weird because I'm not like a huge Lovecraft fan, mm-hmm. um, especially not of the man himself. Some of his views were questionable at best, <laughs> but his his writing was serviceable, and he did he did invent or or come about like a, a rather revolutionary way of approaching horror, which is which I do enjoy. Um, I find that people that have written derivative works about love from from Lovecraft are, have done better than he has mm-hmm. with the material. But anyways. I wanted to sort of mix these two things and I quickly realized because I wrote A God in the Shed before I wrote The Life Engineered. Mm-hmm. It was, it's, it's a much earlier book and I didn't feel like I had the, the intellectual tools or the skills to actually do a good job with it. Um, I didn't think I could do the proper research to capture the atmosphere of the time. I didn't know much about mm-hmm. the whole Cthulhu mythos either. So that was another layer of research. So I... Instead of doing that original idea, I made it contemporary. I still kept the idea that this would be about like the kids in the village, like or the teenagers in this case. And instead of sort of really researching the mythos of Cthulhu, I sort of leaned back on more creating my own things, which turned out to be a little more inspired by the, the aesthetics of Clive Barker. Which is one of, if if I'm looking for a, a favorite horror ha- author, mm-hmm. I would say Clive Barker because he does this whole looping back from terrible to beautiful back to uh, the way I like to say it is uh, terrible beauty and, and beautiful terror, mm-hmm. and just looping these things back onto themselves. Um, like Clive Barker is known mostly for the Hellbound Heart that made the movie Hellraiser, which is all gore. But if you read some of his other books like Sacrament and Imagica, they're they lean way more into into the, this this whole conflict of beauty and terror. That being said, I I had this one concept and did something completely different with a god in the shed, and then let it sit for a couple of years while I was writing and publishing the Life Engineered. And it's only when my publisher that was publishing Life Engineered. Basically, he was my, my publisher is based in Oakland, California, mm-hmm. and he does a lot. He works a lot in L.A. and Hollywood and trying to since he's not in New York, has it's, it's more difficult to sell language rights. So he's trying he, he leans more towards selling TV and movie rights. Mm-hmm. And he said that Life Engineered was doing well in that sense. But the question he was getting from most people is, well, Life Engineered is nice. It would be too expensive to do anything with it does this guy have anything else? And that's when I put forward, well, I've got this horror thing. Mm-hmm. And that's when that book came, came, mm-hmm. got its chance to uh, to get published. Neat. Okay. So you mentioned Barker. Can you talk about some of the other books and authors, stories, mythologies, whatever has kind of influenced? You talked about the, the beauty you look for, the sort of atmosphere you look for. I'd oh, just love to hear about your influences. That's... That's tough because mm-hmm. I consume of most. I, I I lean less towards quantity and more towards variety. As mm-hmm. far as like there's there's no like a lot of people who say oh what do you read and they'll name a genre, and I read horror more as a necessity. I used to read right. horror as a teenager because who doesn't? Like, right. Everybody has a, a like this, these guilty few years of reading a bunch of the worst Stephen King books. Yeah. yeah. But 
as far as inspiration, it's difficult because I don't take like a, a huge chunk from here and a huge chunk from there, but right. tiny little pieces from everywhere. Like I'll, I'll get inspiration for stories from a song lyric or mm -hmm. from a nonfiction book. Um, a lot of the inspiration I got for Life Engineered came actually from uh, listening to a bunch of Mary Roach book, uh, sp specifically Packing for Mars. I wanted it gave it made me want to write something that was as outlandish as possible, but still be base it on some grounded futurism. So it, I, I, I don't know. I'd like I, I'd be mm -hmm. I'd be listing things for the next few hours, right, right. and a lot of it wouldn't make sense. How about do you have any kind of books or again like stories myths anything that sort of sparked your interest in storytelling or something that stuck with you from when you were a teen like, <laughs> I, I hate to sound negative but here yeah, okay yeah, here, here's the closest thing to what i think an interviewer might be looking for sure. so one of the role-playing games that we used to play when my early 20s was vampire to masquerade okay. or more specifically some of the other white wolf properties at the time yeah. and we kind of played these in spite. Mm -hmm. uh, we generally liked the idea of role-playing vampires and mystical creature in contemporary times, but we hated how it was done. Um, a lot of the writers from White Wolf, bless their little hearts, were not great. Uh -huh. um, they had very, I don't know, I don't want to want, disparage them because obviously they had a, a, core, a core idea that was great and they executed fairly well on it. Um, but it, we wanted to make it better. We wanted to make it more story. Mm -hmm. So in, in a way, if you're looking for that sort of inspiration, taking sort of that world and, and trying to sort of improve upon it, which you know is probably the, the line you'd get from most fan fiction writers about okay. whatever, um, is probably one of the, the, the closest thing I would say I have as a, as a practical inspiration towards horror. Mm-hmm. Even even like outside of horror, I'm just interested in like anything. But I really like the inspiration of the RPG. Like I, yeah, I like it when things come from from other places. Yeah, yeah, and and RPGs yeah. were really a core a core to my development as a storyteller right. to the point where I would more and more want control over the story until eventually I just said, well, I can do all of this without the players and that's when you become a writer. Right, yeah. Like, I can do their job too and then yeah. Yeah, I'm on my own. What an origin story. That's really <laughs> fun. This is a, a question I ask all of the authors and we maybe kind of touched on it earlier, but what I usually ask is why YA, what drives you to write YA? And often what comes out of this is well, the story kind of turned it into that. But I'm interested to hear just a little bit about kind of your relationship with the category. I mean, I know you were at Yafest last year, and that's kind of how I know who you are and how we got connected. Right. Yeah. I I got kind of pulled into YA. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm trying to remember if we talked about this before the interview, but uh, I, I might have mentioned it during when I was talking about the origin of God and Shed, but... I, I, I never really planned for YA, mm -hmm. but once I kind of got into it, one of the things I discovered, and this, <laughs> I don't know how bad this is going to sound, one of the things I like to do when I write is be a, a little subversive. Mm -hmm. I, one of the things I enjoy the most is writing a book that is not for the intended audience and hiding it in a book that is intended mm -hmm. for that audience. Um, one of the things that's interesting about The Life Engineered is that it's actually a multifaceted allegory about motherhood, mm -hmm. but it's set in the future with robots. 
so there's kind of layers to it. And one of the things that I enjoy about the YA audience is that they're more passionate than your more adult consumer. Mm -hmm. They see through these layers. But also what's interesting about a young adult audience is that if I want to put in, say, uh, a message or, 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 or morale or something like that or, or an ethic in the story, it will get picked up no matter how deep I bury it. Mm -hmm. And it's it's interesting. I mean, everybody has kind of like this drive towards uh, you know intellectual immortality to a certain degree, the idea of influence leads in young minds, all that, like the 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 core fuel that, that that drives teachers wanting to have an impact like i don't have kids of my own I probably never will so the idea of being able to sort of have that kind of impact is interesting mm -hmm. and the way i write the when the way the young ad, uh, audience reads kinds of allows me to do that yeah it's like I don't know it's it allows me to write a book that has a lot of inclusiveness without have being without having to brand it as such mm -hmm. yeah I know when I when I interviewed Talia a couple of weeks ago to kind of kick off this Yafes I love that interaction we're way. doing oh cool it was fun yeah thanks for listening also <laughs> we were uh talking about just how fun it is to kind of discover all the like diversity of YA audiences and how many people are into it and I know that's something that's been really fun with this project with the podcast in the last year discovering like how varied our audience is and now you seemed a little shocked earlier that I dug up your blog but I did read the post you had written after last year's Yafest yeah and one of the things that really struck me was um talking about conversations with readers and and the kinds of conversations you were having and just being impressed, I guess, like what you were saying before, being impressed at how deeply they read and how much they pick up on. Do you think this will drive you to continue writing for young adult? Is that something you're interested in? I, I would say that like, it already has. Okay. Like, I've, I've got a couple manuscripts I'm trying to... Right right now, I'm finishing editing the sequel to A God in the Shed. Mm -hmm. um, oh, cool. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's called Song, Song of the Sandman. It has been a nightmare to work on because sequels are tough yeah <laughs> they are see Gone Shed is a book I wrote on my own alone with no feedback with yeah. no expectations and now yeah. this this is a sequel to a, a book that did well enough to get optioned so I have my publishers pre putting pressure on me yeah. producers are putting pressure on me I want to make sure my readers get what they want so yeah. they're a priority I also want to have fun with the project too mm-hmm and it's a sequel in the trilogy, so there's a lot to sort of weave in together. Mm -hmm. But once in a while, while working on that, I do take a break and write something else. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I'd go mad. So I do have two other books that definitely fit into the YA horror market. And I adore those books. One of them would be perfect to spawn a series from. Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, I, my opinion of my, my, my work is my own. And the other one would make a great standalone, much more uh, heart-wrenching story. So am I going to keep in the YA branch? Absolutely. I, cool. I, I, loved, I love the audience. I love the format. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that I don't have to think whether I'm swearing too much or not enough. I can just not do it and just work around <laughs> it. There's, it. I like working with the limitations mm -hmm. as much as I like sort of the uh, the advantages and, and sort of the, 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 the kind of interactions I can have with the, the audience. Mm -hmm. Neat, yeah. Yeah, I think something I hear a lot with authors is just that in 
YA, they find a place where they can write the book they want to write and like have have the freedom to play with storylines and have the freedom to kind of play with a genre which um, is which is weird because like the, the sorry to cut you off uh, no no please do <laughs> it, it's weird because when when i talk about writing ya a lot like one of the knee-jerk reactions i get from a lot of adult readers is well don't you find it limiting and I have two answers for that. The first is, well, have you read YA horror? Because it is so much worse than ad- adult horror is this child's play. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, it's oh, it's blood and bones. Oh, and, and they're in pain. Okay, I guess that's horror. But then since you can't do the, the, the limitations of YA are actually kind of freeing because you can you have to do actually. You have to work with less tools and thus become more creative. And lo and behold, when you're writing, being more creative tends to be an asset. Mm -hmm. So you wind up with things that tend to go in places that you don't expect. And I I find that's when, especially for horror YA, that's a welcome change. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us. This has been really fun. I'm really looking forward to EFS this year because I think the group is like... I think there's a really strong group of authors. Yeah, I built a, a whole reading list off of yeah. it like I did last year. <laughs> I, I have as well, and I'm looking forward to finishing God in the Shed, and I'm really excited that there's a sequel now that I know that. So thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. It's I, a like, pleasure, yeah. it's, it's, it's a new experience doing this in-person thing. It's a new experience for me too, yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyahpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Yeah Podcast and individually at Teffer Bear and at The Balesosaurus. You can follow JF Dubot at JF Dubot. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yeahpodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons Erica Stutchberry, Catherine we- Resch, Kat McGuire, Chantal Thomas, and Lizzie Tenho. Thank you so much. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at TeePublic. Also, head to mtlyafest.com to get your tickets for Montreal Yafest. It's at on May 26th at the Jewish Public Library. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and by sharing this episode with a friend. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. I'm Tom. I'm Will. And we're the hosts of Blasting Off Again, a new Pokemon podcast brought to you by the Upford Network. We've decided to take on the task of watching through every episode of Pokemon, providing live commentary and in-depth analysis of everyone's favorite 90s dogfighting cartoon. We're tackling the hard-hitting issues. Is Brock racist? Was coughing the first ever suicide bomber? What are the environmental implications of using Pikachu to power a building? Will Misty ever get her pipe back? Find out the answer to all these questions and more on Blasting Off Again. Available on the Upford Network, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're We're blasting off again! I'm Julian McKenzie, co-host of the Scrum Podcast, a sports show I'm doing with my podcasting partner in crime, Tristan Damore, on the Upford Network. 
Every week, we analyze something different from the Canadian sports media landscape. Lack of diversity, getting a job in the field, coverage of different sports, and answering some of the harder questions. Through a combination of back-and-forth discussion and high-profile guest interviews, we're aiming to figure out exactly what's up in the world of sports. Find us wherever podcasts are sold. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, Message in a Bottle, Morse Code, Telegram, Singing Telegram, Target, Walgreens, Bird's Nest, Dad's Shed, uh, and a crowded convention center bathroom.